Hi there. This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's word and the ministry of the Spirit. Thank you so much. So I've been in trouble for the past one week. And the trouble is to make sense of the theme of service today. Nobody sent me. I sent myself and then I got into trouble trying to figure it out. So I've been asking God for a way to wing it. So I hope it makes sense. So let's start with the story, all right? So I can build some momentum, right? I was watching a... What's going on? I was watching a, um, you know, animation. I think it was Dora or something. And there happened to be a land called Parapata in that animation. So I'll borrow that land. I'll borrow the name of that land in my story. So there is a land called Parapata. Is that okay? A lot of terrible things happening in that nation. They were going through a very tough time, a very, very tough time. And let's, let's turn off the other lights, okay? Let's give a cinema effect to my story. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Thank you. So it was, it was not the best of seasons for the land of Parapata. They are economy was terrible they couldn't trade with other nations they couldn't buy from others others couldn't buy for them they couldn't exit so people were literally just dropping their streets of parapata and things were getting from bad to worse you know their farms were not producing as they ought and the king was terribly concerned as a matter of fact he began to take on the responsibility and began to assume that he was the cause of the whole problem and without telling any of his cabinet members he decided to take his own life perhaps it was going to appease the gods and help them you know get some respite for their sufferings and he went far away into the wilderness and as he was about to take his life he saw a very bright light shine over him and a voice that sounded very much like the winds just spoke out of the light and said do not take your life i will send you a gift that will end all your sufferings. And he was super excited and he said, oh wow. Um, he thought he could have a bit more time to ask for clarification. When is this gift coming? How is this gift going to come? So that I can know how exactly to defend what I just experienced with my cabinet. But upon the speaking of those words from the wind and from the light, of course, the whole thing folded up. He didn't hear anything anymore, but at least he had some hope, something to report to his people. And of course, a good enough reason not to take his own life. So he went back in hope and anticipation, went to his cabinet and explained to them what he had experienced, what he had seen. And of course, you could guess the feedback. Okay, so when is this gift coming? How are we going to prepare for this gift that is coming? And he said, I, that was all I heard. I wished I had more time with this gods to, to get some clarification on when the gift was going to arrive and how it was gonna arrive and what this gift was in the first place. Now, the mind that they had was that the gift was gonna be literally a box of gifts that had a lot of gold in there. 
Uh, so he said, at least we know it's going to be a gift, you know, a gift. So they assumed it was going to come in a gift box. that we have in the land because um, we don't know how long this gift is going to take before it shows up but we need to have survived enough to be available or be around when this gift shows up so they made a proclamation the king sent his town crier went into all the land and began to cry and say to everyone that from henceforth no one is permitted to be pregnant no family no woman is permitted to be pregnant because any additional child is an additional mouth which will spread thin the resources of the commonwealth and perhaps render all of them perhaps extinct before the gift shows up. So they need to go lean, reduce consumption, and ensure that everything is airtight, no additional member, no population explosion. And so the consequences were going to be dire. If you became pregnant or gave birth, you were going to die. And in their minds, that was the best possible way to prepare for the gift that was coming. But they did not realize that the gift was going to be a child. How long were they going to wait for till the gift showed up? Because that which they were actively looking for, they were actively fighting against. That which they had prayed for, they were the hindrance to. And the lights can come back on. <laughs> As I read the story of Christmas, that is what jumps out at me. Incredible how you have prayed for something and the very thing you have prayed for, you are actively fighting against its manifestation. But you are praying. So you are the one standing between your prayers and its answers. And that's the paradox of this box from <laughs> the book of Matthew captures the slants that I would like to expose in the story of Christmas which I think is a really profound thought how that God had inspired several prophets to speak about the coming of a certain Jesus who was going to be the Messiah and everyone in the Jewish community, everyone in Israel is actively expecting the coming of that Messiah. The challenge, however, still heard this from Ben Shapiro recently, how that the Jewish community believe unequivocally that this Messiah will have a political clout. The Messiah they are looking for and they are waiting on is a Messiah that will come and change things for them politically because that represented the major need in their lives. And so they had an expectation of a Messiah that was going to fit with their needs. So their needs were political in nature, so their savior must be political in nature. And that was exactly how they missed the Messiah. And so um, let me give you some background. We, we know about the shepherds that went to um, the birthplace, that's still the manger. The wise men didn't go to the manger. It was the shepherds that went to the manger. The wise men are coming from Persia. They're coming from the east. In fact, the reason why they have something to follow is because of the prophecies of prophet Daniel in Daniel 9. 
that talked about how that Jesus was going to come, that the Messiah, the leader was going to come, all right, after 70 weeks. And this is one of the most interesting prophecies in scripture because Daniel was the one who gave to the very T, the year that Jesus was going to be born. And so he said it was going to take 70 weeks. But 70 weeks, as we know in scripture, is not literal, all right? Because the Jewish community understands the way they calculate weeks because they understand that every week is literally synonymous to seven years because each day of the week in that sort of prophetic um, alignment is a year. And so they understood just like how they had Sabbath years. So after six years of working the land, you had to let the land rest on the seventh day. And after seven cycles of that, you had the 49th year and the next year is the jubilee which is consistent with this concept as well in Daniel 9 he says there will be 62 weeks and then there will be 7 weeks which is 69 weeks and then the 70th week is the year that Jesus was going to come each week representing 7 years not 7 days 7 years and by the time you multiply 7 years by 69 or 70 you find something around 483 years about 490 years all right and this was the and he said from the proclamation of the rebuilding of the walls of jerusalem is when this time will begin to count according to nehemiah chapter 2. now we see also that it was the 20th year of king Artaxerxes. Uh, very difficult to pronounce but you get the gist right it was the 20th year of his reign that he proclaimed for the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And so from that year, you begin to count 483 years, and then it will enter into when Jesus comes into the world, literally. And so these men from the east had been reading the works of Daniel from generation to generation to generation. These relics had been passed over time, and a certain generation was going to be the one to witness the actual fulfillment. And so over the years, of course, Daniel lived several hundreds of years before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the wise men, after his kind, because that was what they called astrologers and the astronomers and those guys in the times of Babylon and Persia. And so they were wise men, but they were, you know, astronomers, literally what Daniel and his colleagues were back in Babylon. And so these were the men that came from several thousands of miles away from Jerusalem. And it was based on what they had read in scripture that they had some form of expectation. And this is the first thing you learn about Christmas, how that God will come to the level of your normal life to lead you. The fact that what they knew was astronomy. God was not necessarily limited in channels to lead them. So if what you know is ABC, God will use ABC to lead you. So God is not limited by what he can lead you through. What they need was astronomy. And so God chooses astronomy as the vehicle to lead them because that was what they knew. That was their discipline. That was their nine to five. That was what they understood. And so the, the challenge is not that God is limited in leading you. Whatever it is you're interested in, God has a voice in that arena. God has a way of using creation and constellations, in fact. To lead you into whatever he needs you to get. However, he may not be limited in channels, but he's limited in destination. Because whatever he leads you into must end up in Christ. Amen. And so it begins to lead the wise men from the east several months before they showed up. So it may have been nine months before they actually showed up in person in Jerusalem. Okay, so um, the shepherds were in Bethlehem and that was why they were able to see him at the manger. But the moment they began to see the star, we don't know how long between when Jesus was born and when the star showed up. So we do not know exactly the timeline. But we know that it must have been at least a year, judging by Herod's timeline of war who should be killed. If it was a boy that was born a few weeks ago, it wouldn't have said two years and under. 
So it must have been that the wise men showed up about a year into the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Based on the distance they must have needed to cover from the east, Persia, to Jerusalem. So when they got to Jerusalem, they stopped seeing the star. If they had continued seeing the star, they would not have needed to engage with the people of Jerusalem asking that we hear that the king of the Jews is born. They didn't go to ask Herod immediately. Okay, I hope you know that. They went to Jerusalem and were just asking people in the market, in the public spaces. Um, I don't know, are you aware? Is there a king born? Any child special? You know, anyone like that? And because, you see, the Jews had now been co-opted and enlisted by the devil himself. Hmm. So they went and went to tell Herod that hey, it appears that some people have come to take your position, O king of the Jews. Because Herod actually made a proclamation to make himself the title, the king of the Jews. And that was why he was extremely insecure when he heard of the possibility of another king being born. And so they came and they were the ones that sold the wise men to the king, Herod. And they went to him and the Bible says, Herod and all Jerusalem were perplexed. So it was not only Herod that was worried about the, repla- the potential replacement of his kingship and authority. The Jews themselves were actively seeking to annihilate whoever this king of the Jews was going to be because they had come to understand and believe that the package in which the Messiah must come must be political. And if Herod has declared himself the king of the Jews, well, maybe he is. And so they were actively fighting against the actual king of the Jews. And so they report to King Herod, and Herod calls for the wise men. Of course, you know, craftily tells them that, wow, that's amazing. I've been looking forward to, you know, worship the king myself. So please, whenever you find him eventually, just bring me back word so that I can go and worship him. And then um, before that, what does he do? What does King Herod do? King Herod calls for the church. King Herod calls for the scribes and the Pharisees and the doctors of the law and the priests. And he inquired of them and said, where is this written? And where is this potential king of the Jews? Where is it to be born? So that we know how to triangulate where we would go and attack him and destroy him. And then they went into Micah, they went into the books, and they went into Micah chapter 5. And they saw it from verse 2 that, ah, it is Bethlehem that would release the king and the Messiah. But they didn't finish reading it. I will get to that eventually. So they stop at the point in the, the scripture, and then they release that intel to Herod. And Herod figured, oh, I see. And he tells the wise men, go, when you, when you have the specifics of where he is, come back to me. It was later on he realized that they had deceived him and then he gave the proclamation to go kill every child between the ages of one and two. But the staggering thing is that the church was deployed to kill Christ. The church. How does it get so bad that the scribe, the institution literally created for the purpose of preserving the Christ, honoring the Christ, exalting the Christ, revealing the Christ to the world, is the very one used by the devil because Herod is no small man in meanness and wickedness. Herod, let me give you some sort of a profile of his. And this is not captured in scripture, but if you read other um, materials, you would see these things that I'm saying. Herod, as a matter of fact, when he was just a little boy uh, and his father died, they ensured that he was the one that executed the person that killed his father. Just as a little boy. This is Herod. Herod married his wife. A few days or months after marrying his wife, he killed her. 
We don't know the reason. At some point, he married another person. Of course, you know, he began to, you know, sort of just suspect. All he needs is suspicion. He doesn't need to be sure that you are in conspiracy against him. So his mother-in-law, he suspected conspiracy of her. He kills her. He killed his brothers. He killed the governors that he himself enthroned. He killed his sons, Alexander and Aristobulus. You know that famous guy? Not the same person, by the way. I guess it was a famous name at the time. Killed these guys. This is Herod. This is the person that the church started working for. This is the person that the scribes and the Pharisees and the doctors of the law started actively fighting for. Number one, they told them the wise men to Herod. Number two, they went to dig the scriptures, the scriptures to kill scripture. <laughs> they carried their Bible to look for how to kill scripture. And they gave the intel to Herod that it will be in Bethlehem. And the question today is, how do you pray for a thing and not recognize it when it shows up? How do you pray for a thing and when it shows up, you are the reason it can't land? You are the reason why your prayers cannot be answered. And that's the answer we all are seeking today in service. It's amazing the gift of Jesus Christ, but when he shows up, will you see him as he is? Will you recognize him as the savior of the world? Have you been praying for something and when the answer finally comes, you are the reason, you are the last thing that must be eliminated for the answer to come. And by the time the answer has come with you eliminated, what kind of an answer is that? And so in order to spare you, he keeps the answer from coming. Because you don't even know that you are the one actively fighting to sabotage that which you have been praying for. How does the church surrender their machinery and their insight and the revelation? The same scribes that were with Ezra, Nehemiah, in the building of the wall. A full circle had come. Remember, Jesus was going to come 70 weeks from the release or the building of the walls of Jerusalem, the second building of the walls of Jerusalem. At that time, they were working for the cause of the Christ. And 500 years later, they were literally working for the exact opposite agenda, the exact same institution, scribes and priests. The same institutions that made it possible for the walls to be built in the first place are now actively fighting for that wall to be pulled down. Remember, when Jesus was going to, you know, to prophesy about his day, he said, I will build the walls and I will break it down in three days. So the walls is prophetic in its implication on the narrative surrounding the birth, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So at the beginning of the building of the wall, they were all right. Something happened in between. And now this same institution whose objective is to raise up the Christ, is to ensure that he comes and he shows up and he saves the world, not just from their own myopic political issues, but from the, I mean, save the world from sin, which is the plague that everybody on earth is suffering from. And so there is something about selfishness that ensures that you don't receive your own answers. There is something about selfishness that would edge the answers from landing. There is something about selfishness because all you are concerned about is that the entire, the God of the universe. I just read from Hebrews chapter 1. Oh God, your throne is forever. And the scepter of thy kingdom is the scepter of righteousness. You have loved righteousness and despised iniquity. This is the same Jesus that was at the foundation of the earth. The Bible says the heavens are the works of his hands. The Jesus that was introduced as a baby. The same God of the universe. You want to trap him as just a boy designed to solve your own political issues in Israel alone. 
you reduce the magnitude of the potential of the answer that you're asking for to just something that can solve your own daily bread and you ask how come it's not coming it is because you have become the exact opposite of the kind of person that can receive the answers and today we're just going to be learning how not to be that how do you expect a box of amazing goodies and then when it shows up you don't even recognize it bible says in john chapter 1 and verse 10 bible says he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not he was in the world and the world was made by him and the same world knew him not i have an interesting illustration for that as well how that you were hired by a company this sort of nearly happened to steve jobs hire or you you built a company multinational you know fantastic organization stock exchange doing billions of dollars in revenue every year and then for some reason you were sacked for some reason the board ganged up against you and they sacked you and then you spent a few years in jail maybe five years and then you come back and because you didn't have your the walkway plattered with your name and your face here and there you come back and you apply for a role of a janitor for example in the same company you you started 15 years ago but because you've been so far away from that company and uh, of course the legend of your founding um, status all right was not passed on to anybody within the organization so you come as a janitor and not even one person recognizes you as the founder of the organization that is now feeding them because you are not on the walkway and that was the reality of Jesus that he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world did not even know him Jesus would walk past and like, another dude <laughs> and the world was how do we become so blind to that which we seek how do we become so blind to that which we need how do we pray for something and when it comes we can't see it what makes a man into the antithesis of his prayer point what makes a man into the very opposite of that which he seeks from God? And that's, that's, I couldn't go past that. That they went into scripture to kill scripture. That they gave Herod all the machinery and the materials and the information and the prophetic agitation. They looked through Isaiah, they didn't find it. They went to Jeremiah, they didn't find it. They went to Ezekiel, they didn't find it. They went to the smaller prophets and then they got to Micah, they got to chapter 5 and they're like, yes, here it is. The prophesied was going to come from Bethlehem. So when you triangulate and go to Bethlehem, he's there. He's there. He can't be away from Bethlehem. And that was what incited Herod in attempting to kill the word, the living word. Now I'm going to show you three things that you can do to ensure that when the gift shows up, you don't miss him. Three things. Using the life of these scribes and what they had devolved and degenerated into the very ones fighting their answers and that is honestly a sad reality that i see also in the world today where you are asking god for things but you are the very reason god cannot answer you because if he did he had to either kill you or that he can't have you and have the answers with you at the same time because you have become the antithesis for the answers because you are now actively fighting against that which you are praying for the first thing we see, go to Micah chapter 5, quickly. The scribes, they still knew how to read the Bible. Old 
ultimate antithesis to that which they have been praying for. Micah is after Mary. In case you're looking for Micah. And it's not my car. That's in the garage. All right? It's Micah. Now, it says, but thou, oh, I like this. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. He says, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. And they stopped there. This is the first dysfunction in the pathology of this dysfunction, right? This is the first thing. What happens is that they read up until that point. Let's go to Matthew 2. They read up until that point and they stopped. <laughs> Look at it. Verse 3. And Herod the king had heard these things and he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Because Herod was, oh dear God. Insecurity is the biggest issue any leader can have. Once a leader is insecure, he can't last. It's just a matter of time. He can't. Because he's not going to give grace to those that could have been sent to save and preserve him. He, was, he will kill all of them. He will kill all of them. He believes everybody is a threat. Anyways, Herod is the king and he hears all these things. And Bible says he's troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. So they are now partnering with their enemy. Thinking he's the one that is for them. And fighting against their friend. Who is supposed to deliver them? And this is the reality sometimes when some people explain their problems to you. You are wondering, how do I detangle you from the orientation that brought you into this mess? Because now you have thought that the person that is closest to you is your best friend. Whereas he's the very reason why you are actually in the mess that you are. And that which you both are now fighting against is the one you should have made alignment and, you know, alliance with. So how do you detangle people from their issues? Because this is Jerusalem, the one that Jesus was sent to. But now they have made partnership with Herod against the Christ. Bible says not only Herod was troubled, Jerusalem too. In their mind, they're like, ah, they're about to come and take the throne of our king. The king himself is coming. Yet, you are jostling for the crown to remain on Barabbas. And so... And they said, verse 4, Bible says, when he had gathered all the chief priests, look at that. He went to the church. He said, you people have intelligence. You understand prophetic agitations. You can tell me what is about to happen. You can tell me where to look for so I can send mercenaries and armies and soldiers and hitmen to go and destroy this Jesus. I need you to destroy you. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And verse 5, and the Bible says, They said unto him, Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou Bethlehem in the land of Judea art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people of Israel. Fool, stop. That was not all Micah 5 2 said. That was not all. Your dysfunction begins when you misinterpret scripture. Your dysfunction begins when you use scripture for your own convenience. You will miss everything God is sending to you because there is no sincerity in your heart. You are only using your desires to induct, not to deduce. You are trying to induce into scripture what you want scripture to tell you. You are not going to scripture with an open heart, really hoping to hear from God. You are saying, it is color I want. God, what are you saying? What do you mean by it's color I want? So what, what do I got to say? That is lack where you should want. I don't understand. 
You are in a building that you are not sure the foundations are strong and you are praying. You are inside the building and you are praying. Lord, will this building collapse or will it stand? But you are inside the building. Exactly how sincere will you be in expecting any of the alternative outcomes? Because if the building is to collapse, exactly why should you be in that building? So you are in a relationship and asking God, is this the right? You have already said yes. So. You are now asking inside the relationship, is it the right relationship for me? So what do you want God to say? Because if the building is to collapse, you are dead too now. So the best place to pray if the building collapses or stands is outside the building. So that if the building collapses, is it to collapse or not? You are already compromised. Your, your heart can no longer be sincere. And so Micah chapter 5 then tells them, look at what, <laughs> if they had just finished reading, ah, the word of God is so complete. If they could have just finished reading Micah, if they could have just finished it, just at least finish verse. Bible says, but thou Bethlehem, Ephrata, the very verse of scripture that they had read from, thou though be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee, Bible says, shall come forth unto me that is the ruler of Israel. What is there in Micah is a semicolon, not a full stop. Bible says, whose goings forth has been from everlasting. How do you kill that which is everlasting? If they had added this injunction in their report to Herod, Perhaps he loses his agenda. The, the Bible that said he will be in Bethlehem also said he cannot be killed. But they stopped at, oh, he's, a, he's supposed to be a ruler of Israel, and I'm the ruler of Israel now, so he is my threat. Had they just finished reading it that who's going forth is from everlasting? And remember, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. Everlasting. Had they added that bit for Herod, Herod would have lost his agenda and his desire for killing Jesus. So their dysfunction began by misinterpretation of scripture. It may have been better for you not to know scripture at all than to know it partially. It may have been better. It's better. Don't know it than to know it partially because when you know it partially, the devil now has a weapon of war against you. Every single thing the devil used to tempt Jesus was a caricature of scripture. Every single thing. He didn't bring anything outside of scripture. Every single one of the temptations. The first thing is this. All right, if you are the son of God, I mean, a few days ago, Jesus himself heard God say, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the devil starts from the note of the word of God and said, if, there is no if when Jesus said it. God, God did not tell Jesus that if you act all right and nice and cool and calm and collected, then you will be my beloved son, then you go on probation for another six months, then I'll be pleased with you. He didn't say that. He said, you are my beloved son. And then the devil introduced if. It is subtle. But it's a deviation. And the moment Jesus recognized that, <laughs> forget that one. This is the word talking. This is the living word. And he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he said, ah, that one went. I may go another. And then he went to the other place and began to say things like, he went to Psalm 91, you know. He said he would, you know, keep his angels charge over you, if you, you know. So you can as well just jump. But, but the beginning of the chapter says, they that dwell. Dwellers don't jump. 
dwellers don't jump. They that dwell in the secret place of the Most High shall abide. Abiders don't jump. They dwell. They abide. All right? And then he said, hey, just jump now. And then the Lord recognized the deviation in the interpretation of Scripture. And recognized the malicious intent of the devil. And then he went to the next one and said, see everything in the world. I will give it to you. Remember, Psalms 2 says... Ask of me the nations, and I will give you the ends of yet as an inheritance. But who is the one giving it? So every single thing the devil tempted Jesus with were scriptures, but misinterpreted scriptures. So you know scriptures is not enough, especially in the year 2024. It's not enough. You know scripture, eh? Huh? You know Micah chapter 5, and you stopped just before the end. And the devil takes advantage of that and weaponizes to fight you exactly. Because you did not understand scripture. You say, after all, you know, that is the purpose of grace. Because where sin abounds, grace does much more abounds. So let me abound in sin so that grace will abound. Do you get my point? Say, Rev, preach on, pastor. Let me use up the purpose of grace. I mean, if I don't sin, what is grace doing? What's the work of grace? Is it not to wipe away my sins? So uh, grace will be jobless if I don't sin. And then you'll be interpreting scripture like, what revelator? <laughs> Whereas, that is the devil literally having a field day in your life. Using you to self-destruct. Because you carried scripture and you began to wrestle with scripture. Remember what Peter said about the writings of Paul. He said, don't wrestle with it. Believe it. Be just agree with it. Don't wrestle with scripture. Because the word of God is often called the two-edged sword. Have you ever fought a two-edged sword and won? Can you do that? That you fight a two-edged sword and you win against the two-edged sword. So the Bible says they are wrestling with scripture. Understand the word. Understand it for what it is. And if you don't yet have understanding, ask for teachers. And may your teachers not be withdrawn from you in Jesus' name. Go look for them and seek from the law the things that are written concerning the Christ. And believe it. Your interpretation is not, does not mean anything in heaven. It's the word of God that means something in heaven. It is the word of God that is settled in heaven forever. Your interpretation, if it goes against the word, you have now become that one that the stone of stumbling will hit. Because this was the thing that I made Jesus, a stone of stumbling. Jesus will not depart for you to pass. He will cause you to stumble because now you have wrestled with scripture. Bible says, to the Greek, he became foolishness. To the Jews, he became a stumbling block. Because they would not find time to study the Bible and understand what the scriptures is saying. How do you carry the best thing that God wants to give you? And you become the reason why it cannot come into your life. You yourself. And it starts with not understanding scriptures. Not understanding it. After all, once we are saved, we are forever saved. And you begin to wrestle with scripture. And you see other parts of scripture that makes it, ah, no homonger, no fornicator, no adulterer shall have a part in the you know, kingdom of God. And you're like, see, this one is talking to the Hellenists. The Gnostics. These ones, they are not crazy. No, no, they're not talking about we. You know, we, we are post-resurrection. Post Post-redemption. Stop wrestling with scripture. How about you read the whole thing, the whole counsel? 
had they told Herod that this person, he's going for us. That is, he began from no beginning. <laughs> he began from everlasting past. How do you think you can stop him at any time? He doesn't respond to time. He, be, he began from everlasting past into everlasting future. And you want to gather the, the, the liver to kill him in time. And so they told him an incomplete verse of scripture. And then he went about trying to stop, stop him. So the dysfunction and the devolution into fighting that which God is bringing your way, it begins with not knowing and interpreting scriptures correctly. It was the incomplete reading of Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that gave Herod the premonition that he could exterminate Jesus. Once you are ignorant of the word of God, you have made yourself an easy target and pray to the devil. The temptations of Jesus were all about the correct interpretation of scripture. It's not enough to know God's word. You must have the proper understanding of the spirit of truth. The devil began all his temptations with scriptural inferences. He didn't say, oh, let's go to a club. Let's go to a prostitute's place. Let's go and smoke. Let's go and drink. When the devil is coming to you at that level, you are not a Christian. That's the beginning. But as a Christian, he will start with scripture. You say, let's go to Matthew. So let's go to Matthew. Let me show you something there. And, and you will follow him. Then he will dabaroo everything in the middle. He say, ah, it's true. Hmm, rev. And that's how he leads you astray from scripture from scripture how did the devil plan for jesus to fall from scripture just think about it so this is why we must be diligent in study else when our answer comes we'll call it something else and when that which was supposed to run as far away from comes we will embrace it and say what i've been waiting for has finally come be careful understand scripture understand scripture amen the second thing is this. Do not be carnally minded. There are people you have despised in the strength of their appearance. Economic status, social class. But when Jesus comes, he will not come into the world with your carnal metrics in mind. He will look at your expectations and dress up like what you're expecting. No. You are being carnally minded. And if you're carnally minded, you will miss God 100% of the time. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So then they that are of the flesh cannot please God. You can't please God. It means you also cannot walk by faith because these are the two things that we know pleases God. Hebrews tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please him. They that are in the flesh also cannot please God. You can't be walking in the path of the flesh and expect to meet God as a bystander there. He is not there. He will not be there. So you can as well get the memo from scripture and choose your path. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Do not be carnally minded. He won't come in the mode of your earthly and carnal expectations. He won't be, all right, riding on a fiery horse into your situation. Sometimes the Savior can come in the most unassuming ways. Anyone who sees and knows men after the flesh will miss God every single time. You see men and you know them after the flesh. This one, you cannot dress well. How do you think can bless me? Okay. It might be the maid to your wife when you're leprous. Ah. Uh -huh. Did you get that? Because Naaman, all right, had, if he had despised the maid, he lives and dies a leper. So his miracle came through a maid. You could tell that he was a proud man. You could already tell. And that was the first thing God needed to knock off to get him healed. There are some things I'll begin to teach you from next year. 
that I, they have blessed my heart so much. Minister Rachel, we love you. We celebrate. Can we celebrate Minister Rachel, please? <laughs> You're already missing us. That's the idea. <laughs> Praise God. Because God will not do the same thing to a mountain, what he will do to a valley. When he goes to a mountain, he will level it. When it comes to a valley, he will fill it up. Two different operations, but the same outcome. Two different operations. So you may be a mountain and your problem is pride. You look down on people. The way he will walk on you is different from someone that is suffering from low self-esteem. He needs to fill that person up. But you, he needs to break you down. So he sees Naaman and he says, your answer will be locked in something that only takes humility to unlock. Because your real problem is pride, not leprosy. Your real problem is pride. So for you to be healed of this leprosy you will let go of your pride first and embrace the answer to your leprosy so the greater miracle was the fact that Naaman became more humble post his lepros situation so he first had to agree that he made had better sense of what was happening in the environment than himself he was a captain of an army he knew what was happening in town yet he didn't have the solution to his own problems it was the maid to his wife who was probably a non-citizen, an immigrant, who didn't have anything to herself. She's a slave, for God's sake. Yet, she was the answer. And if he had not heeded her recommendation, he stays and dies a leper. So he had to bend and say, what do you have to say, my dear? And I said, I know a prophet. He's in. And when it comes to the prophet, God also uses a way that will break his pride. Elijah does not show up and say, hey, who, who? Because Naaman got upset. That, ah, what kind of man of God is this? I come with all my regalia and protocol and you send me some Gehazi. What, what, what was all that? Can you come forward and show me some dignity and honor? I mean, I'm not supposed to be here. It's not because of this leprosy. Ah, what's all this? I won't take disrespect. Leper. <laughs> Oh, you are not ready. <laughs> you know, I like how Elisha did not even humor him. Say, so if you like, don't bother somebody. What's my problem? <laughs> so are, there, are there not better rivers? You see, the problem was not leprosy. Yeah. Are there not better rivers in Israel? Why is it the smelliest, the dirtiest? And that's the one, gong gong, that carries your answers. And then they have to be begging him that if they had told you to do something more complicated and sophisticated won't you do it they have to just go and have your bath seven times just do the simple thing but proud people no ah it has to stoke their ego it has to make them feel like they did it they achieved it and even when he wanted to give a gift Elisha said I don't need it ah, who is this man just wanted to break the back of pride because if he had not left the pride at the doorstep of Elisha he would have won- he would have been leprous again it was going to be just a matter of time. There is something producing the dysfunctions. There is something deeper that is producing the dysfunctions. If you don't deal with it, a man of God can lay hands on you, lay legs on you. You may be healed for a season, but you will come back again on that healing line. If you don't deal with the dysfunctions, and the dysfunction may be dishonor. The fact that you see a person, ah, he's my mate now, we are colleagues now, but you don't recognize the grace of God upon his life. You say, ah, the God of the universe came in swaddling clothes, and they called him J-Boy. This is the God of the universe. The one that when he shows up, Jordan is driven aback. The mountains keep like rams. The God of the universe. But he's in your neighborhood. And I send him to go and buy more for you. <laughs> J-Boy! What are you doing with your time? Come here, come and buy more. Let there be plenty of pepper, okay? Amen. Some of us are missing the former garrison because of Momo and Sweet. 
sweet yam. It is well. Some culprits are speaking now. <laughs> and they called Jesus whatever they wanted to call him because they were carnally minded. They were expecting a savior and a messiah that was going to come in a fiery horse, destroy everybody that has stood against them over all these years and become their king and ensure that there's socioeconomic peace and prosperity in the land. But only in Jerusalem. Only in Israel. What good is that to the world? Sin is a global problem. It's not, it's not a local problem. It's a global problem. And Jesus did not come to just solve your problem. He came to solve the problem. But because of your own myopic entitlement and perspective and selfishness, you want to reduce a global answer to a local solution. And you expect that solution to land. Don't be carnally minded. Look at how God... See, two weeks ago I was teaching at... Ijaniki and I was sharing with them three dimensions of encounters. There are three dimensions of encounters. The first one is direct encounter with God. It's the least. I'll say that again. The least type of encounter is direct unsolicited encounters with God. Where God by himself comes to meet with you. You didn't pray. You didn't ask him. Like what he did with Paul. Like what he did with Gideon. Those things are direct encounters. You did not ask for God to show up in your room. He just showed up. They don't measure spirituality in any way. As a matter of fact, they may be reflections of distance. So, the direct encounters with God where God does something dramatic. God had to make it very clear to Elijah. I was not in the earthquake. I was not in the storm. I was not in all these fantastic, spectacular, carnally stimulating things. Because to be carnally minded is death. Your five senses can look at it and you're so excited and wow, this was amazing. I mean, Jesus came light, bright, all those things. That is the least powerful form of encounter. The first one is direct, unsolicited encounters with God. The second one is indirect. They are more powerful than direct. Indirect encounters with God through men. Because this one requires honor and humility to access them. The first one, you don't need honor, you don't need humility. And that means you don't even need the quality that preserves the purpose of the encounters. Because when you have honor and humility, you can preserve the purpose of the encounters. Because even if God meets you on the way to Damascus, he will send you to Ananias. If you don't honor Ananias, you stay blind for life. Even though you saw Jesus on the way to Damascus. Jesus will not preach to you. Jesus will not heal your blind eyes. Jesus will not get you baptized in the Holy Ghost. If you don't honor men, the best of God will still be aloof. The best of God. The God that you met directly, the best of him, you will not experience it. If you don't begin to honor men. So the best of God is found Alright, when you honor the men that carry him, because that one requires perception, honor, humility. Because when God was going to come into the life and the story of Abraham, he came as three confused men that you could have ignored on the streets of Jerusalem and say, oh, these are just confused. How do you respond to people that are looking for road? Ah, how? You don't even, ah, can't you? Calm down. Jesus saw them and he saw that they didn't know where they were going. And he, there was just a sense that these guys, there's something about them. The Bible says, he entertained angels unawares because he had a disposition of honor. He loved people. He was hospitable. He was kind. And it was on the strength of that hospitality that one year from then, Isaac showed up. Look at that. It was not when God came as God, in his capacity as God, that he prophesied. It was when he came as a man that he prophesied. So if he had not perceived God as a man, 
he doesn't receive his grace. This one, I'm waiting for God. I'm waiting for God. I'm waiting for God. And God is coming in men. And you're like, I'm waiting for God. And God is coming in men. But you're like, I'm waiting for God. And God is coming in men. He's coming as your assistant. He's coming as your colleagues. He's coming as even a get man. He's coming. He's, he's been coming. The problem is that you have not been seen because you lack honor. So when you don't see God in men, you will see Jesus and you will not recognize him. You will call him a J-boy because you are carnally minded. You measure people based on normal social metrics. Does he have money? Is he my kind of guy? Which school did he finish from? That's weird. What's that's weird? No, no, I'm just... Why are you guys laughing so much? Say, ah, if it's not from Unilag, OAU, Covenant, please, I'm not... Really? The one you will marry will not even have gone to school. And you will need to see him in the light of what God has called him. You need to see him. See, God will test our weaknesses. We must grow beyond those weaknesses to arrive at our inheritance. We must. You can't be carnally minded. You look at people and like, you size them up. And your brain just goes, pa, 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 pa. This one, this one. Mm-mm, see, the algorithm in our minds is more powerful than some supercomputers. You see a person and you can tell, it's not my type. Who told you? You have done all the everything, the codes, everything. Bam, results. Insufficient. Inadequate. No vibe. So you just, ah, there's no, it won't work. And God is saying, have a conversation. Speak to that maid. Talk to those strangers. But you're carnally minded. Melchizedek did not come as God. He came as a king of Salem. A king, a normal king that Abraham just finished fighting. He came as a man carrying wine and bread. And Abraham saw him and said, wow, this is an epiphany of God. He could see men in a greater light than just the reality of their flesh. He could see them. He could see them. If you receive a prophet in the name of the God of the prophet, you will receive the prophet's reward. But God is coming behind the scene of the prophet. So his front end is a man. His back end is God. And he will come like that all the time. He's coming to bless you, but he will create a front of a man. And if you reject that man, you have rejected him as well, but you are praying for God to come. How does he come? He always comes in men. So indirect encounters with God through men is more powerful than direct encounters with God. Because Jesus could have easily said, hey, see my hands. He said, no, let me teach you like a man. I, he taught them scripture. When he became God to them, he disappeared. You must be careful not to relegate and put to the background people that the society have put to the background as well. Be careful how you see people, how you rate people. To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And the last thing, the last thing is to learn to worship Jesus. Mr. Jalas told us that already this morning. Learn to worship him. You meet him in a manger. You meet him in a house. You meet him in a court. You meet him in a synagogue. You worship him. This wise man, and it's amazing how Jesus touches on everybody within the social strata. The shepherds were lowly. His parents were lowly. But the wise men were not lowly. Right? The wise men were not lowly. The disciples may have been lowly. His mother may have been lowly, but Joseph Arimathea was not a lowly man. And so God connects with people across the entire spectrum of the social ladder. 
Yet you only want to play at a certain at a certain strata, and you say that is godlikeness. No, that's not godlikeness. You must be able to play at all levels to carry the spirit of the Christ. So you don't use Christ to justify poverty. Neither should you use Christ to chase after money. Do you understand? Because it's the entire spectrum. They say, ah, poverty is how Jesus lived. No. There were people who were sponsoring his ministry on a regular. Wives to politicians. They had money. So don't use Jesus to justify poverty. And don't use Jesus to become covetous. The spirit of the Christ is... Is not connected to any of this, but he knows that there are people across the entire landscape and all of them just alike need the gospel. Zacchaeus needs it. Blind Bathymius needs it. All of them need it. And you must connect with them at that level. Don't be carnally minded. The last thing again, like I said, is learn to worship Jesus. Wherever and whenever you find Jesus, you worship him there. There may be moments on the bike, God tells you, worship me now. You raise your hand and you worship him. God has saved me from an accident that way before. The day before, I was on the bike and the Holy Spirit just told me to worship him with my limbs. I heard it loud and clear. Worship me now. I raised my hands. I couldn't raise my leg because I can change the dynamics of the balance of the bike. So I didn't... Rec- <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I twinked my toe or something else. I don't know. But I raised my hands and I celebrated God and I worshipped him. The next day I had an accident on Ife, Ibado Express Road. And for the next about 45 seconds, not a car passed by. Not one. I was in the middle of the road with the bike man. The, middle, the busiest road in Ife. N- not one car passed. And God whispered to my ears and he said, it was because you worshipped me yesterday. If I had not done that, I could have lost some limbs. Or even my life. Everywhere you see Jesus, worship him. And don't always premeditate giving. Don't always premeditate giving. You go to a place and the Holy Spirit inspires you to give something. Give it immediately. The more you think about it, the more you think people are malicious for asking. I know we've talked about entitlement, but balance, please. Wherever you find yourself, ensure that there are two extremes flanking you. There must be two extremes in the line of your truth. All right? Because now you can say, eh, pastor has taught us that people are entitled. And everybody you see are entitled people until you are in need as well. Now you have, you have conditioned everybody to assume that anybody that is in need is entitled. Now you are in need. Mm. Now you are the one in need. And you are hoping somebody will skip that class for a day and say, see, I'm not actually in I just need help. Just, just help my life. And so you need balance. There may be times God will expect you to worship. Because when you give to people, the Bible says you are not giving to them. You are lending to the Lord. Look at that. It means people are in need, but you are seeing the Lord. Wow. You are seeing the Lord. You are worshiping. You are giving. Because that's how you worship. No worship happens without a gift. You see, all these ones that we come to church, the reason why we give offerings in church is for worship. Nobody must appear empty-handed. That was the instruction given to the patriarchs. You don't appear before God empty-handed. That's the reason. Because you can't say you came, you danced, you worship, but you didn't give. It's called the sacrifice of praise. You must give something. The first time worship was mentioned in scripture, Abraham was one who mentioned it. And he was about to give his biggest offering and his gift to sacrifice his own son that he had waited for for several years. And he was going to give him. God did not have to repeat the instruction more than once. He says, we go yonder to worship. To worship. To worship. So if I ask you today, how freely do you give? How generous are you? 
Because when they saw Jesus, even it's amazing. Wise men from the east, yet scribes inside Jerusalem missed it. Remember that part of scripture that Jesus was telling the Pharisees and all that? He said, see, don't worry, the time will come. You will see people from the east and west and the north everywhere. They will come and sit down at Abraham's bosom. But you will be there saying, we are the sons of Abraham. Don't worry, continue. You are the sons of Abraham, Abi. People will come and hear Abraham and act. And they will, their lives will be consistent with the spirit of the Christ because they followed after the tenet of Abraham. Yet you will be somewhere so far away from the life of Abraham and the life of Christ. But you will be claiming entitlement and saying, we are the sons of Abraham. And that is why Paul will still be praying in Romans chapter 10 that my prayer and earnest desire for Israel is that they may be saved. And that suggests that perhaps they are not yet saved because Jesus came from their loins, yet they despise him. They despise him. Men from the east, it took them nine months, 12 months, but they came. They didn't come to collect. These days what we find is people will travel seas, oceans to come and collect on a mountain, to come and gather and collect a blessing. Can you travel land and seas to give? Think about it. So there's a man, I know, he's in a mountain in Tanzania. You will go there because he can solve your problem. How about you travel land and seas to give? Because you recognize God and you worship him there. These wise men came. They are not three, by the way. They may have given three gifts, but they are not three. Because they keep showing up every Christmas. Three wise men, three wise men. I was reading the storybook to my daughter the other day. I still saw three wise men. They are not three. There are a lot of them. And they came bearing gifts. There were three categories, I would even say, because I imagine they had a lot of those individual gifts. So learn to worship him wherever and whenever you find him. The wise men didn't say, this is a house, not a synagogue. This is a baby, not God. These are peasant couples, not dignitaries. Whenever you find God, worship him right there. You may see God in a, a baby's smile. Give. See, if you are looking for wonders, you will find them. Remember Pastor Nosso taught us last week? If you are looking for complaining, you will find it in abundance. But if you are looking for miracles, little miracles, you will find them everywhere around you. And every time your heart is stirred to worship, give. Give glory to God, give honor, give adoration, give time, give worship, give money, give presence, give everything, give, give. Tell your neighbor, give. Follow up by saying, start with me. Say it again, say give. But start with me. And I mean it. So that person sitting beside you, you must give. Because there's God in that person. There is. There is God in that person. Because how you respond to God is by giving. I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable act of service. Give. If you want to worship, give. God is symbolic. Of authority or rather gold is symbolic of authority so they give these three things present your gift unto him gold is symbolic of authority frankincense and myrrh symbolic of knowledge because that talks about the the fragrance of his knowledge all right the fragrance of his knowledge all right uh, worship must be done both in reverence for his authority and in, revel and in revelation of his person you need these two things to worship effectively you need to revere him in his authority in his magnificence in his excellence in his glory and splendor but that's not enough you need to know him 
because if you if you lack understanding in both the authority side and the knowledge side some part of your worship will be deficient you need to come to God with honor and reverence but what would even provide that honor and reverence in your heart is the knowledge you have of him so if you don't know him you can't worship him enough so the bible says we worship God in spirit and in truth it is truth that facilitates our spiritual acts of worship it's truth so if you don't know God what are you doing when you raise up holy hands do you know what you're doing let my prayer like incense rise before you and the lifting up of my hands like the evening sacrifice you know the significance of what you're doing because you have knowledge that's why you praise God with understanding because you know something about him and that is why your experiences you must capture them you must detail them in some journal in some book somewhere because as you are reading it you are relieving yourself of dimensions in God that may be lost had you not trapped them into an experience by writing them you write them and as you read them again God is just showing himself so much more in that regard in your life say I'm your Jairus saying that I'm your Nisi I'm your Sidkenu Everything we have in scripture were the experiences of men captured in the canon. It's not all there is to God, but it provides a framework for us to explore the knowledge of him. So wherever you find Jesus, you worship him. You give him gold. You give him frankincense. You give him myrrh. All right? And there'll be a lot more about gold, frankincense, and myrrh, especially as we move into the next year, because God is about to do something really amazing in our midst. He is. He is. He is. He is and right there they worshiped they didn't say we are still they didn't say everybody has worshiped and forgotten that jesus was born nine months down the line they still worshiped as if he was born today and that's the spirit of the christ where he does not get still to you what he did three years ago has not become old to you what he did five years ago is still as real to you what he did 25 years ago is still as real to you that is worship where you never take for granted anything he does whether in the past or in the present you worship him, you give, you prostrate before him. Father, we give you praise and we give you glory. Thank you, Father, for, for Christmas. Thank you for salvation. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Can you worship him in your heart this morning? Can you worship him in your heart? As we begin to round off this morning, can you worship him in your heart? Worship him in your heart. Worship him in your heart. Worship him in your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Ali Fabro Fadina Siam. Minister Ebobe, do you remember that song? Did you rehearse it? You did? Okay. Let's try that. Wow. Ella Shupahaya. Who's leading the song? how we round off today because God has been so good to us he gave us the gift of the Christ
you've done for us we can't thank you enough for all you've been to us we can't thank you enough for all you've seen us through for all you've seen us through we through the year 2023 thank you thank you for all you've done for us for all you've been to us for all you've seen us through your name is a strong tower in the rain we hide under we don't become a victim of our own ignorance foolishness weakness we are strong in you we're strong in the Lord and in the power of his might thank you for shielding us for protecting us for being everything to us we love you, Lord. And Lord, as we celebrate the Christmas this season, we ask that may the revelation of your magnificence, your excellence, your beauty, your glory, your honor, your power, may it never wane in our hearts in the name of Jesus. May it not be that the farther we go, 
the less we remember may not be that would constantly be reminded of your greatness each and every day of our lives and as often as we do that we receive the grace to bow down and to worship thank you father for answered prayers for in jesus precious name we have prayed can we rejoice and give the lord a shout of praise god bless your hearts i love you Connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Parpoint Tribe.